and every one of you, I can't even tell you how great it is to see some new faces here. Uh, thrilled that you're here. Welcome to the folks in, uh, joining us online as well. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Steve. I am uh, on the elder team here at Hollis Center Church, and I'm also on the preaching team, and have been away for a few weeks, and get to come back and share with you today. <laughs> when we had the opportunity to reopen this church with just a few people, Dave and Joan King sat right there the first time the doors opened. And so... There isn't a tribute that is even worthy of what a delightful, beloved woman she is. <laughs> and so I want to, from here, the pulpit that Dave stood in for so many years, say to Dave and the family, we are so sorry for your loss. And we mourn with you and we hope with you. As Dave said online a couple days ago, our hope is stronger than our grief. Amen? All right. Uh, we will be celebrating communion today. Um, so if you don't have uh, elements yet, uh, grab them here. And if you're home and want to grab them anytime, uh, anytime is a good time. We are in the book of Exodus, and we are cranking through uh, parts of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And last week, if you recall, and if you were here, Caleb talked to us about how the Israelites came together as a team and worked together in the building of the tabernacle. And what we saw last week is that God calls us as a team to offer ourselves and our resources in the pursuit of our purpose of loving him and loving others. And Caleb gave some teasers to where we were going to go this week. And so this week I've titled our time together this message, Idol Factory. And if you have your Bibles and you can turn to Exodus 32, that would be great. It's a pretty long chapter. Do I need to move this somewhere else? Like, not inside my mask? How is that? All right. Hi, guys. My name is Steve. No, just kidding. I hope you were able to hear some of that. Um, we're in Exodus 32. I'm not going to be able to put all the scripture up on the slides today, but I will put a bunch of it. But I want to start with a bit of an illustration. You guys know what these are? Maybe. These are AirPods. 
And you're like, wow, Steve, you're doing an Apple commercial as part of a sermon? It's kind of an unadulterated attempt to make yourself seem relevant to the younger folks, yes. So, (laughs) if you haven't seen these things, this little thing here goes in your ear and makes makes you feel like you're in a concert hall. Not only that, if I have... If I get to do an elders meeting on Zoom, I can stick these in on the iPad, and that even records my voice somehow from way up here and sounds clear. These things are nuts. They're amazing. And as my brother would say, they're proud of them too. They're not cheap. But what makes this sound so great? What makes the sound so great in your, this is me, helping you learn things that I just learned. Air moving inside there is what makes them sound great. When you hear bass in your little AirPods, there's more air moving. When you hear the higher notes, there's less air moving because the bass notes require the most energy. And so what makes air move inside this little teeny weeny thing? And every time I do that, my iPad goes, hey, your AirPods are connected. Stop. What makes the air move around is a little baby machine. Like, can you see that? Little teeny machine in there that makes the air move. What makes that little machine that makes the air move? Another machine makes that little machine that makes the air move. And John Robertson's company makes the machine that makes the little machine. You with me? Are you following? Everybody following? Okay, good. And John's company makes this big, huge, kind of robot-y thing that pumps out little air-pumping machines. John, now you know I was texting you asking these questions like I cared about your job. Um, <laughs> And, and this machine takes up all kinds of space, and it costs millions of dollars. But listen, it cranks out 1,440 of these little baby machines every hour. That's 24 every minute. For those of you that don't do the math in your head like me, that's 35,000 a day this one machine can crank out, 12 million of them a year. I want one. And so I'm using that as an illustration. John would say that he's constantly wrangling these machines to get them to work well and to get them to produce and at the level the customer wants and all that. But there's a man named John Calvin. You may have heard of him years ago. He said the following. I've got the quote up here. Man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. As wonderful as that robotic machine that John works on is at cranking out little air-making machines, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols and has no problem with it. There's no wrangling necessary to crank out idols. 
John Calvin continues, says, every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. And his basic point is that we have an amazing capacity to chase after, to give our hearts to, to embrace things other than God. And anything we put in place of him is an idol. And so Tim Keller puts it really simply. He says, anything, listen to this if you can, anything, person, possession, place, activity, experience, relationship, substance, or idea, listen, that I turn to first for pleasure, for comfort, for satisfaction, or meaning. Anything that I turn to first for pleasure, comfort, satisfaction, or meaning. And so, kind of a simple point I want to make today is that the heart of man is an efficient, well-tuned, high-producing idol factory. We are excellent. We are amazing at finding things to worship besides God. And it takes work for us to stay faithful to our creator because of sin. And so we're going to see some of that today. And so I've taken Exodus 32 and I've broken it out into some things people say. So I should have four points up here. The first thing we're going to see in Exodus 32, and we're going to read through this, is the Israelites say, make us gods. Next, God's actually going to say to Moses, let me alone, and we're going to get there. Moses says, God, remember. And then in the final section of today's chapter, I say, oof. Oof. And there's stuff we're going to talk about today that wasn't on our flannel graph. So before we dive into the word, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do. We don't, we don't like to be challenged. We don't like to be told what we're like. But this one seems pretty universal, Lord. We, we, we love to chase after things that make us feel good. We love to turn to other things than you for comfort, for pleasure, for solace. And so I pray that each and every one of us would kind of open our hearts today and go, all right, okay. I know I've got that ability to do that. Let's see what the word would have for me today to chase down and understand about my, whole, my own heart so that I can serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I want to start with just the Israelites saying, make us gods, really? And so I want to make sure we set the context. Moses had been gone for a bit. Moses is on the mountain with God. He is actually receiving the law from God There are tablets that God is physically writing on. And we don't have a ton of detail about that experience, but Moses, what what a ride. Can you imagine being in that place where God is explaining how things need to operate in order for his people to represent him in the world? And so while he's gone, the people go to Aaron, Mr. Second in Command, and verse 1 says... This is what they said to Aaron. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And listen to the language here. As for this Moses, (laughs) 
What do you mean this Moses? The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. It is important for me to mention to you that we have just gotten done. And David's made the point, I believe Caleb made the and I'm, and I made it. The people said, when Moses said, would you like to follow God in his way? They said, oh yeah, we can do everything God asks of us. We can do it all, multiple times. They said it over and over again. Moses is gone for a bit. They go to Aaron and say this. Make us gods. What is going on there? Well, what they're doing is they're going back to their roots. They're going back to what they're familiar with. Egypt was a place where lots of gods were worshipped. And Moses leaves just for a bit. Their Mr. Daily Reminder, their leader's gone. They go back to their roots. It was a constant temptation to them to go back to the attractive parts of their past and leave the God who saved them. And he goes, what? They worship gods in Egypt? Ooh. Yeah, Joshua 24, 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Okay? And so that gives us an indication that the Israelites had gotten syncretized and, 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 and absorbed into some of the culture of Egypt where they were, which is not a big surprise. <laughs> and so Aaron said, no, what are you talking about? I got you guys said you wanted to follow God. No, that's not what Aaron did. Verse 4. He, he told them to take off their jewelry and give it to him. And in, in verse 4, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Okay, we can camp here as long as we want for how much is going wrong right here. It is lunacy. That Moses gone, second in command, second in command doesn't stop them for a second. There's no indication in scripture that he gave any, any protest at all to what the people wanted. And Aaron himself made the calf with a graving tool, which is a tool. I want you to remember this, remember the graving tool, okay, because it's going to come up in a minute. So why a calf? I'm just going to read what John McKay said. The ultimate in bull worship in Egypt was probably the apis bull, considered to be the manifestation of the creator god worshipped at Memphis in lower Egypt. This is an actual bull. The bull lived in palatial quarters in the precincts of the temple. And get this, only the higher echelons of society were allowed to view it from special windows. Its death was treated on a par with the death of Pharaoh, and the remains were mummified. This is a cow, ladies and gentlemen. Images of calves or bulls were associated with the strength and power of the deity, and the idols as well as certain live animals came to re be regarded as embodiments of the god. And so, 
So we're clear. They went after a calf. Why? Is that just some random farm animal? No, 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 no. Where they came from, it was a revered, um, huge part of their religion and society. And so they went right back to what they remembered, what they knew, and forgot what God had done for them. Sound familiar? And so at this point, I want to stop and just say, we all need to understand the Bible does not just tell us what happened. The Bible tells us what happens. How often do we go back to what we know and forget what has been done for us? And we're seeing it in spades right here. And they didn't just worship. As you read through the passage, it's like Aaron pressed the party button and they just went crazy and had a party to match any party you can imagine. In verse 6, it says, And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So they went to bed, they got up the next morning to eat and drink, and then they got ready to play. And we're going to see a little more about what they do in a minute. In the next section, God says, let me alone. And you're like, what? Let's go ahead and check this out. Verse 9. God knows this is going on, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold... It's a stiff-necked people. He doesn't say, aw, these guys, they just don't get it. They don't understand. And Moses, they miss you. Isn't that sweet? No. He doesn't say, well, Moses, why don't you head on down and remind them of what they said. Just tell them to remember that they said they do everything. I'm sure they'll turn around. Because they said it like five times. We'll do everything. They must have just forgot. Just go remind them. This is not what God says. And, and let's see what God says. I'm not going to add much more commentary to it. Verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone. That my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. Listen to this. In order that I may make a great nation of you. If you haven't seen this or remembered this as part of your golden calf flannel graph Sunday school lesson, this is big. God says, leave me alone for a minute. I got to go down and take care of business. I've got to destroy every single one of them. And before we struggle, we're going to talk a little bit more about it. Before we struggle too much, that's exactly what they were doing would require. But God actually says to Moses, I'm going to go do that, and then I'm coming back, and we're going to start over with you. Start over with you. 
You've heard Father Abraham? God says, what about Father Moses? How does that sound? Can you imagine hearing that from God? Not the children of Abraham, but the children of Moses. He would be the founder of a new nation that represents God. And so one incredible thing, and I think honestly maybe the most incredible thing in today's passage, is that Moses does not leave God alone. Instead, Moses says, and this is the next thing, he says, remember. And before we get into when Moses says, remember, first in verse 12, I don't have it up here. Moses says in verse 12, really? The Egyptians are going to say, he, 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 he freed them from, from Egypt and then just destroyed them at the base of the mountain. That's what Moses calls God out on. He says, no, what is that? You can't do that. But not only that, but in verse 13, Moses says this. Remember, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. Moses says to God to remember the covenant that God had made. And I don't have it up here, but the verse continues. And he said to them, This is what Moses is saying. God said, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I've promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Moses quotes back to God the promise that he'd made. We made a big deal as we've been preaching through this of the covenants God made, the promises. Well, Moses remembered them and he pleads with God to not destroy the Israelites. And in the very next verse... The Bible tells us, verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Wow. What a moment. And so, if you um, spend some time studying what people, people uh, talk about and what they struggle with in the Bible, this is actually one of the passages in Scripture that folks go, oh, I got a real problem with it. Um, Because it looks like God changed his mind. It looks like God forgot and Moses reminded him. And so insert month of systematic theology classes here to, to talk through it. But the Bible doesn't give us room for God forgetting. Um, There's an entire kind of belief system that has, um, that has come out that said that God doesn't know the future. It's called open theism, and it's very unbiblical. But passages like this make people go, wait, what is going on? And so I truly believe that we're missing the point. Two things. Two things I want you to see from this passage. Number one is that do you see what just happened? What just happened is that God saved his people through a mediator. God just saved his people through someone that interceded for them. Not only that, Moses passed the test. God offered him his own nation to be the father of One writer calls it the dictator's dream. The Bible doesn't say how tempted Moses was 
or even if he was tempted at all. In fact, it seems like he ignored God's offer altogether. And he got right to interceding for the people. Without any hesitation, Moses began pleading for God to save his people. And so given the choice, this is truly what I believe we're supposed to take from this passage, given the choice between serving himself and saving others, he put others first. And this is the mark of a man of God. He chose God's greater glory over his own personal good. And you say, okay, yeah, that's, that's tough, I understand. And okay, wow, the Israelites were saved through an intercessor. Okay, great, um, let's close in prayer. Oh, I wish, I wish. Because the next part, I, literally I was like, okay, what am I going to say for number four? And all the only word I can come up with was oof, just oof. The end of this passage is a downer. <laughs> but we got to talk about why. So Moses heads back to camp. His people are alive. He passed the test. And apparently Joshua is with him. And in verse 17, it's up here. It says, When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. So Joshua, as we know, was a mighty warrior in the whole nine yards, but they're getting close to camp. And Joshua goes, I think we're being attacked. That's how big the party was. Well, the party stopped when Moses showed up. And the next thing that happens is something most of us remember from our flannel graph days. In verse 19, Moses sees the calf and the dancing, and he destroys the two tablets containing God's law written by God. And what we learn next is that idolatry has consequences. And it gets rough. God takes his honor, his glory seriously, and we ought to as well, but we don't. The next thing Moses does makes us uncomfortable. It just does. Probably because it comes too close to home. We're like, it was just idol worship. Oh, that, ooh, that is a bad place to have your brain. We like to think that our forgetfulness of God's honor and glory doesn't have any consequences. We like to think it's harmless when we worship other things. More on this later. Verse 20. <clears throat> he took the calf that they'd made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. What? I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, Marge Pillsbury, my Sunday school teacher, never mentioned this. <laughs> Ew. And probably unhealthy. I don't have much to say. It's like the first Gatorade. Maybe. But what? And we don't have a lot of... Moses was enraged. 
But, but listen, when we get enraged, what do we do? When we get enraged, we lash out and we do something. Moses took the time to melt this thing down, grind it into a powder, and pour it into water and make the Israelites drink it. This wasn't just, go punch somebody. Okay, so that's, we're just, that's just the start. He then goes to Aaron and he goes, what on earth happened while I was gone? I leave you for two minutes. It was like 40 days, but I was gone for just a little bit. And Aaron says, hey man, you were gone and these people, they're evil. <laughs> Aaron actually says that. He says, you were gone, and these people, oh, my word, you don't even know. Moses does know, but. Aaron says, they asked me to make gods for them in verse 24. Verse 24, so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. Wow, that's a good rep uh, representation of what happened. This is what Aaron says, so they gave it to me. And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now, you remember why I wanted you to remember the graving tool. Because Aaron took time and had a tool. But no, now that Moses is there, it just popped out of the fire. Can you even believe that? It's a miracle. <sighs> okay, verse 26. Then Moses, uh, it doesn't get better, FYI, if you guys need to leave. Um, verse 26, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. So Moses says, all right, I've got a line in the sand. If you're on God's side, come on over here. And guess what? The sons of Levi are the only ones that showed up. Still. Not many gathered around Moses. This is what a stiff-necked people looks like, FYI. The result, mm, if you don't have your Bibles open to Exodus 32, great, you're not going to have to read this. But what happens next is Moses says, okay, tribe of Levi, every one of you go find three people and kill them. What? This sounds very extreme. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like too much? Marge Pillsbury didn't mention this either, FYI. Rest in peace, loved her to death. Moses again goes and intercedes for the people with God. We have some verses in there where he goes back and he tells God, if you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out too. which takes us to the last verse of the chapter, verse 35. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is what the Bible calls a bad day. Okay? And so I want us to think, because I've had a couple weeks to sit and think and ponder verse 30, uh, chapter 32 and work through how extreme some of this seems. No, seems is. This is kind of cuckoo. 
we need to be careful when we get the sense that God's judgment against sin is too severe because Jesus bore it for us. Okay? When you think about what Jesus has done for you, this gives you some sense of what Jesus went through for you. And we're going to talk about that as we celebrate communion in a moment. We love to camp out on God's love. And the Bible says all kinds of things about God's love and God's mercy. But it also says a lot about God's justice and God's judgment. And it makes no apology for God's perfection or the badness of sin. Or God's completely perfect judgment over sin. Ladies and gentlemen, idolatry, looking to something other than God, is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so, as is often the case when I'm working on a sermon, I take a look at what Packer says about it, and he came up with this next quote. Jen, you can go ahead and put it up. He says, Idolatry was invented to provide sinners with gods they can worship while remaining their own masters. Idolatry was invented to provide sinners with gods they can worship while remaining their own masters. What does an idol expect of you? Absolutely nothing. That's why we like it. Packer continues and he says, trying to rule what one serves, being enslaved by what one tries to rule, trying to play God to one's gods, and ending up the captive of them all, that is idolatry in all its forms. It is a satanic parody of man's original relation to his maker and a source of endless misery to all its practitioners. Let's go back to our original point. You guys are all fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible tells us that. And sin has marred the image of God in us. And part of that marring is that we so quickly can turn to this or that or the other. And the Israelites are just a model for us. They are an example of what we do all the time. All the time. And so, go ahead and get your elements out because... We're going to celebrate communion, and I love how communion is going to help us close the idol factory. Okay? And I'm going to make this point again to make sure that you, you follow it and you own it. Here's what we must remember when we look at how horrible the judgment for dishonoring God with idols is and was, is that Jesus took that judgment on himself. 
the destruction that God rightly could have bestowed on the Israelites, just wipe them from the face of the, just to destroy them. And also could for each one of us, Jesus took. And so I want you to just listen as I read. Now the Bible says this in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Just listen as I read this. It's, it, it's, a, it's an Old Testament prophecy regarding Jesus and what he did for us. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, including our idolatry. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. When we sing Waymaker, this is what we're talking about. J.C. Ryle says that Christ rightly known, Christ truly believed, and Christ heartily loved is the true preservative against every form of idolatry. And so if you're in here today or you're listening and some of this just sounds weird to you, but you know that the things that you chase after in this world wind up owning you and you're looking for an alternative, might I offer Jesus? He bore the brunt of our rejection of God. 1 John 4.10 tells us that God loves us and that love looks like sending his son to pay the penalty for our idolatry. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's about what God did. God made a way. We... John Piper says this. He says, we make a God out of whatever we find most joy in. So find your joy in God and be done with all idolatry. And so hopefully we've, we've, we've been able to spend some time considering the fact that our heart is this idol factory and it's a real challenge for us. But there's a way to conquer it. about what God did. And so Jesus challenged us to constantly remember. You have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this to constantly remind yourself that I've paid the price. He challenged us to do this in remembrance of me. So another big step in closing the idol factory is our obedience to God in loving each other. I picked 1 John 4. 1 John is just an amazing short five chapters that is just so about loving God and loving others. I challenge you to go home and spend some time in it this week. But 1 John 4.12 says this. Listen to this. 1 John 4.12 says, If we love one another... God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You want to deal with idols in your life, 
God's love being perfected in you is where we start. God's love being perfected in you, how does that happen? It says it right here in black and white. We love one another. God's love is perfected in us when we love one another. Wow. And so we remember, and then we love one another, and Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so again, I want to challenge you to spend some time in 1 John this week. Boy, we've covered some stuff today, but the end of 1 John, the end of the entire letter that John wrote is 1 John 5.21, and it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You want to hear a pastor's heart explaining how that's done, go read 1 John. So if those that are going to sing and lead us in closing want to come on up, I want to, I want to, I want to hit you with some questions. Real quickly, rivals for God in your life, they're out there. Are you listening? What do you think about most? What do you fear losing? What do you most want to be known for? What do you complain about most? Where do you escape? What angers you? What gives you a sense of identity? What makes you feel like a somebody? What disappoints you the most? I want us to take a look at our hearts. When John says, dear children, keep yourself from idols, we've got to constantly be looking at ourselves and then looking to Christ as we've just done and then loving others. God is the way maker. He can help us defeat these things that always seek to take priority in our life over God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we like to look at the Bible many times and go, what on earth was Aaron doing? What were those people thinking? And that's really not the right posture. Our posture should be, wow, that sounds familiar. And so I thank you for this opportunity we've had today to look at ourselves But even more so, Lord, I love and appreciate and I'm so grateful for the fact that we've taken the time to look at you and the gift that your son gave to us. May we continually live in a place where we're constantly considering what you've done for us and allowing allowing that to drive us out of here to love you and love others. In Jesus' name, amen.